Anyway, thank you all for being here uh, this morning. It's, it's always great to gather together um, around uh, God's Word, and uh, especially at this season with the, the beautiful music and the uh, Advent theme that, that we're going to be uh, focused on. One of the things we do each week is we open our Bibles uh, to see what we can learn about God, and as I often say, what we can learn about ourselves, because we find our own story written in these pages. And uh, as we go through the passage each week, I'll have the verses up on the screen, but uh, if you're here this morning and you'd like a, a paper Bible to follow along in, uh, our ushers are coming down the aisle right now, and if you'll just signal them somehow, uh, they would be happy to put one in your hand. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please feel free uh, to take this one uh, with you. If you've been around Grace for the last several years, you know that um, uh, we've approached Advent from a number of various uh, angles uh, each year. Sometimes we've looked at those traditional themes of Advent, uh, hope, joy, peace, and love. Uh, Some years we've looked at uh, some titles uh, or roles uh, that the Messiah came as, prophet, priest, king, and savior. Uh, Other times we've looked at various songs that we find in the Bible that people sang about the coming uh, Messiah. A lot of different ways to anticipate the coming of Messiah. This year, uh, I want us to, to look at four names that were prophesied about the Messiah in uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Um, uh, you have uh, those names on your worship folder. They're on the screen here. Um, we're going to spend four weeks in this verse, so um, we'll know it really well by the, by the end of it. Uh, maybe most of you don't need any help remembering these four names because they're, they're famously known to us from that glorious piece of music by George Handel in his oratorio simply called Messiah. Messiah. Uh, the twelfth movement of part one is a direct quote from Isaiah 9.6. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, or as in Handel's piece, Wonderful, take a break, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Maybe some of you are are singing those words now, and might not hear anything else I have to say this morning, which I guess is okay because it's directly from Scripture. It's a, not only a glorious piece of music, but uh, the, the, the lyrics are, are just right out of the Bible, so they're, they're wonderful. Um, anyway, each week of Advent, we're going to look at one of these four names and, and try to understand why this was such good news for the people that, that first heard this announcement, and why it continues to be good news uh, for us today. So before uh, we explore what is meant by wonderful counselor, uh, let's pray together and ask God to speak to us from his word this morning. Lord, we thank you uh, 
We thank you for the Bible. We thank you that you speak to us from it. And we pray that that would be true this morning. Uh, we thank you for these words in this, in this verse that uh, not only uh, brought hope to the people of Israel, but they bring hope anew to us today. And so we pray that you would help us to understand what is meant uh, by this promise of a Messiah who would come and be called Wonderful Counselor. Uh, help us to, to wrap our minds around that and even more importantly, our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the name Wonderful Counselor obviously is made up of, of two words uh, that have been combined to give a more powerful meaning. I, I mentioned that Handel uh, put a, uh, well, in fact, the, he, he did it because uh, the King James Version puts a comma between wonderful and counselor. More recent uh, scholarship uh, really suggests that they were intended to be together. So uh, these, these two words have, have been combined to, to means something even more powerful than their, than their parts. And so before we bring these two words together, we kind of need to look at each of them individually and figure out what these two parts mean. I find that most of us aren't that aware of the words that we use every day. Um, we just say things without thinking, right? And, and words just sort of roll off of our tongues and we repeat them without really thinking about what that word means. And I realized this week that wonderful is one of those words for me. Um, I use it all the time for all kinds of different things. And if I, if I look at how I use it, which I, which I did this week, I find that, that how I use it has really nothing to do with this name that Isaiah uses uh, to describe the coming Messiah. For example, uh, Becky and I had a wonderful Thanksgiving dinner with some some good friends on Thursday. Um, I've been to concerts that I would describe as wonderful. Um, Of course, I've had wonderful days of fishing on the river you know? Sometimes I use the word wonderful in a sarcastic way. Maybe you do too. Like, you know, if the, if the car breaks down, a flat tire or something. Well, that's wonderful, right? I use it a lot of different ways. Uh, but as good as the turkey dinner was or the concert or the really good day of fishing on the river, none of these things could truly be called wonderful in the sense that Isaiah is using this word. The, the Hebrew word that Isaiah uses is Pele. And uh, we're in the middle of the World Cup right now, and, and it looks like maybe his record is going to be broken. As amazing as Pele was at, at soccer, this word has nothing to do with him either. Pele is a word that means astonishing, mind-blowing. It refers to something supernatural, beyond human explanation something we would call miraculous, right? And the word is only ever used uh, of God. He is the only one that is truly 
wonderful. Only he accomplishes things that are worthy of being called wonderful. The word Pele is used in Genesis 18 when the Lord told Abraham, then Abram, that his elderly wife was finally going to have a baby. This wrinkled old woman was going to have a baby. That's a miracle. There's there's no human explanation for that, right? The word is used in Exodus 15 when Israel held this impromptu worship service on the other side of the Red Sea after God had, had parted the waters and allowed Israel to walk across on dry ground. Amazing. You know, people have tried to explain it. Uh, Some have have said, well, it wasn't really a red sea. It it means reed sea. Okay. Even more amazing that God drowned a whole Egyptian army in that much water. I mean, however you slice this, it was a miracle. It was incredible. And so when they got to the other side, the Israelites sang, Who is like you among the gods, O Lord, O Yahweh? Glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders. Pele is the word. Psalm 77 and 78 and 88 and 89 and 119 all use this word Pele to speak of the miraculous wonders of God. Psalm 89 says that all heaven praises God's great wonders. His Pele. Isaiah uses the word Pele here in chapter 9, but he also uses it again in in chapter 25 and chapter 29. In 29, 14, the Lord says, because the people's hearts are far from me, I will once again astound them with amazing wonders. Pele. The wisdom of the wise will pass away and the so-called understanding of the intelligent will disappear. And this verse begins to take us into the second word that Isaiah uses to describe the coming Messiah. Not only does he do wonders in the the sense of mind-blowing, miraculous works that no human can explain, his wisdom is beyond anything that we would consider wise. He's our counselor. What does that mean? that he's our counselor. Kids have uh, counselors at school. Grown-ups have counselors that they sometimes go to to help them sort through various issues in their lives. And, and those kinds of professionals can be really, really helpful to us. Um, however, there's, there's an old joke that, that claims you don't really need a degree to be a counselor. You just need to be willing to listen to people's problems for an hour and then ask them three questions. So this is your ticket to being a counselor, okay? Listen to people for an hour and then say, how does that make you feel? Where do you think that comes from? What do you think you should do about it? Those are the three questions. That's... Now, so a lot of counseling just turns out being what, what we think we ought to do. It's just probing questions. But these are not the kinds of, of, of counselors that Isaiah is talking about here in this prophecy about the Messiah. Because when Isaiah said that the Messiah would be a counselor, he, 
he used a word that meant the wise counsel that comes from a place of authority, like a king. And we might go, oh, wait a minute. I remember hearing that Messiah, that word means anointed king. Yeah, that's the kind of counselor. King King Solomon would be an an example of this kind of wise counsel. Solomon's wisdom was known across the world. Kings and queens came to seek his advice on things, and, and they marveled. They were astonished at his wisdom. And it seems that Solomon not only had the, the wisdom to know the solution, but he had the power as king. He had the authority to enact the solution. This is a, a counselor to whom you would bring your worst problems, and he'd show you the way out. But of course, Isaiah's not talking about Solomon or David or, or any of the other wise kings that might come after them. Because you see, something amazing happens when Isaiah puts these two words together. The, the wise counsel gets infused with the supernatural, miraculous, wonder-working power of God when he puts wonderful and counselor together. Another way to say it is that this Messiah would give wonder-working wisdom. Isaiah himself describes the kind of wise counsel the Messiah will bring in Isaiah 11. He says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And then he goes on. He says, he will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion And a little child will lead them all. We begin to understand that the name Wonderful Counselor isn't just describing someone who gives good advice. This is something different. This is a person who understands the way things ought to be and has the power to do it. He is the one. Messiah is the one who will actually set things right. And so these words that he will be called Wonderful Counselor bring hope to to everyone who is is feeling the weight of of a world gone wrong. These these words were first written down uh, about 2,700 years ago, around 700 B.C., took over 700 years for the prophecy to come true. But eventually it did. And this child that Isaiah prophesied about was eventually born, as, as we know from the story, in this little insignificant town called Bethlehem. And in his birth and in his life and in his death and in his resurrection, He fulfilled over 300 prophecies about the Messiah. There's no question that this baby Jesus is the person that Isaiah was talking about. 
one of those prophecies is that people would be amazed, astounded at his wisdom, as well as the signs and wonders that he did. Most of us have heard about those signs and wonders, right? Turning water into wine, feeding 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread, walking on the water. Many of us have heard that one. Healing sick people, raising dead people, on and on and on the list goes. He did amazing wonders. But sometimes I think we forget that it was prophesied that he would also give wise counsel. The Apostle Paul affirms that Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy in in Isaiah 9. Uh, uh, when, When Paul says in 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, for our benefit, God made Christ to be wisdom itself. Friends, Jesus is the personification of wonderful counselor. It's not just a name. It's it's not just a title. He defines what wisdom looks like. In Colossians 2, 3, we we looked at this just a few weeks ago. Paul says, in Christ Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Again, he personifies wisdom and knowledge. You want to know what wisdom and knowledge looks like, what wise counsel looks like? Look to Jesus. And this was proved out during his life. Early on in Jesus' life, People were amazed at his wisdom. Luke 2, which contains the story of his birth, uh, also contains a story about Jesus when he was just 12 years old. Luke tells us that the family had traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival, just like they did every year. But this time, when they left to go home, Jesus wasn't with them. His parents assumed that he was with one of the other families that they were traveling with back to Nazareth, but he wasn't. And when his parents finally found him three days later, where was he? He was in the temple talking with the religious teachers. And Luke, Luke tells us in, in Luke 2.47, all who heard him were amazed, astounded at his understanding, at his answers. And the word amazed here is the same response we see in the Old Testament passages that we looked at earlier. They they were astounded. There's there's no human explanation for how this 12-year-old boy is coming up with these answers. His understanding and, and his wisdom was way beyond the most educated religious teachers of the day. We see it again uh, in Luke chapter 4. Jesus is older now. He's, he's traveling around Galilee. He's teaching people. But again, Luke tells us that people were astonished at his teaching. Why? Because he spoke with authority. Now remember, we learned about the word for counselor in Isaiah 9.6. It's wise counsel that comes with authority. Here it is. Jesus speaks with authority. All through the Gospels, we have the same thing over and over again. People were astonished at Jesus' teaching and with the authority with which he spoke. 
Of course, that doesn't mean they always liked it, right? Matthew 13 is one of the passages that says that they were astounded, they were amazed, they were astonished, but they were also deeply offended by it. In one sense, you could say that Jesus' wisdom is what got him killed. Jesus' teaching usually goes against what we might call conventional wisdom. And, you know, that's, that's the problem with so much of the counsel that we seek out. I don't know about you, but I, I want somebody who will tell me what I already believe. I want somebody to affirm my delusions. Oh, yeah, you're so right on that. Right? Do I really want wise counsel? So when our wonderful counselor challenges our conventional wisdom and says something like, if you want to be really great in the kingdom of God, you're going to have to learn to be everyone else's servant. Well, I don't like that. Right? When our wonderful counselor challenges our conventional wisdom and says, if you want to be really rich in the kingdom, and everyone's ears perk up, right? You want to be really rich? Give everything away. What kind of crazy investment plan is that? You know? When our wonderful counselor challenges our conventional wisdom and says, Instead of retaliating against someone who has harmed you, we should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. I don't like that. And when our wonderful counselor says, you want to live? I mean, really live? You want abundant life? Well, you're going to have to learn to die to yourself every day. Ah. I don't like that, right? Well, let me ask you. How do you think conventional wisdom is working out for us? Because conventional wisdom isn't fixing the world's problems. It's not ending war. It's, It's not ending poverty or hunger. Conventional wisdom isn't causing more marriages to stay together or getting rid of addiction and violence. Conventional wisdom actually isn't fixing any of the problems caused by sin because I think conventional wisdom wants to say, I'm okay. And I got news for you all. You're not. You're not okay. I'm not okay. Going to a counselor today, I think, has less of a stigma than it, than it used to. Um, in fact, I think in some circles, it's, it's almost sort of stylish to have a therapist. But most people, I find, don't really want to go to a counselor. Why is that? Well, they'll have to admit that something's wrong can't go to a counselor. People might think I got problems. Can I say it again? 
You do. Every one of us in this room does. The point of my message isn't to get everyone here into therapy this morning. The point of my message is this. 2,700 years ago, God spoke through a man named Isaiah. And through Isaiah, God said that he was uh, sending a Messiah, that a child would be born, a son would be given. And God knew 2,700 years ago that what we would desperately need in a Messiah was a wonder-working counselor. Someone who was wise beyond our comprehension and powerful enough to do something about it. And not only was he wise beyond our comprehension and, and powerful enough to do something about our problems, the Bible says that he understands. There's an old gospel song, no one understands like Jesus. It's true. Hebrews 4 tells us that he sympathizes with our weaknesses because he's been tempted in every way that we have, and yet he didn't sin. Jesus listens sympathetically because there's no suffering or, or pain or confusion or temptation that I will go through that he hasn't already gone through. And so I can trust that he will guide me with expert advice, with, with deep understanding, astounding wisdom on how I should navigate this thing or that thing. So as we wrap up our time with this first of the four incredible names, beautiful names that we find in Isaiah 9-6, I have just two takeaways for you this morning. The first is this. If we're going to benefit uh, from this truth about Jesus, the, the wonder-working counselor, we've got to admit we're not okay. We've got to admit we need help. Okay? We need a wonderful counselor. And just like with any other counselor, a counselor can't help you if you think you're okay. As long as you think you've got it all together, no one can help you. And it's the same with Jesus. Do you think you're just fine the way you are? He can't really help you. Jesus said it himself. He said that he didn't come for the healthy people. He came for the sick people. Jesus came for people who have problems. And if you think you don't have any problems that Jesus can fix, well, what you've done is, is, is placed yourself outside of his ability to address it. He didn't come for the people who think they're not sick. He came for the people that know they are. And he doesn't force his help on anyone. So we all, all of us, have to start by admitting we, we have problems that only Jesus can fix. We all, all of us, need this wonderful counselor. But secondly, we have to be willing to do what he says. The Gospels are, are full of stories of people who came to Jesus, this, this wonderful counselor for help. And many of them did what he told them to do. And so they were healed or they were forgiven or they experienced the fullness of life that Jesus promised if they would follow him. But it's also true that, that many didn't do what he told them. 
In fact, there's, there's one potential apostle who refused Jesus' offer. You know who it was? I think most of you are probably thinking Judas or, or somebody like that. I'm talking about a young man who came up to Jesus in Mark 10 and he asked Jesus, what do I have to do to get eternal life? You remember what Jesus told him? Sell everything, give it to the poor, and then follow me. This man had religiously obeyed all the commandments. But as it turned out, possessions were more important to him than following Jesus. Possessions were more important to him than gaining eternal life. As far as I know, he's the only person recorded in the Bible who rejected a personal invitation from Jesus to follow him. The other apostles that Jesus said, follow me. What do we know? They dropped everything immediately and followed him. This man hung his head and walked away. If you ask Jesus for his advice, I I can pretty much guarantee you that he's going to tell you things you don't want to hear. He'll tell you things that go against conventional wisdom. For instance, Jesus is going to tell you that he is the only way to the Father. He's the only way to heaven. Some of you won't like that. It's too exclusive, you say. Okay. Do it your way. Go ahead. You try and live good enough so that you don't need Jesus' sacrifice for your sins. Won't work. How do I know that? The wonder-working counselor said so. That's how I know it. Uh, Here's something else he'll, he'll probably tell you that you may not like. He'll tell you that you have to live as if he is the king. He's the one who gets to call the shots. Not you. Some of you won't like that. I like being in charge. I'm not going to have anyone tell me what to do. But maybe, like me, some of you have figured out that you're pretty lousy at calling the shots. I'm lousy at calling the shots. I need a wonderful counselor. And letting him call the shots starts to look pretty good. And I can tell you from experience, it is. And I can tell you that if you you follow the wisdom of the wonder-working counselor, you'll find yourself living in this miraculous, supernatural realm of the kingdom and the abundant life he promises. And I don't mean by that that everything is, is... what is it, rainbows and unicorns or whatever it is. Not everything is roses, right? Life's hard. But there's an abundant life to be discovered in the middle of the hard. And the choice is up to each of us. We can go on pretending we have it all together. or We can go to our wonder-working counselor and do what he says. One of those ways leads to more misery One of them leads to life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for coming. 
thank you for coming in this particular way as wonderful counselor or wonder-working counselor. Thank you that, that you are wise beyond anything we could ever imagine. And that you are powerful enough to do what we need. We thank you that that the greatest miracle of all, I mean, it, 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 it shines far above changing water into wine, is the change of a human heart. bringing people from death into abundant life. Some of us have experienced that. Thank you for that. Some here this morning need to know that. Holy Spirit, open their eyes. Help them to see Jesus. This wonderful powerful, wise king. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.